apologist. Apologetic seeks to give credible answers to curious questions, to give a defense. Why is the church so splintered today? We know that lots of good came out of the Reformation. In fact, it allowed us to kind of get back to uh, what faith is all about and what it means to be declared righteous by faith. However, uh, there are some things that we need to be able to look at and realize that aren't so good. The church is incredibly splintered. Uh, We went from a time where people believed in authority to becoming utterly and completely anti-authority. We have people that are ultra-individualistic, and there's not as much respect as there once was for church leaders. And so the Reformation, though it allowed us to go back and get back to the core of the gospel, we also lost some other things as a result. And today in America, there's over, or in the world, there's over 40,000 denominations. What's going on? Here's what's happening. We're splintering the church to death in the name of our pet particularities. We have become obsessively particular. And what's happening is, is the church does not know how to come together in a coalition and be aligned because we demand so much. We need to shorten up our lists. We need to not be so unbelievably obsessively particular. And we need to unify around the gospel because Jesus said the world will know that we are his disciples when we love one another. And he prayed that we would be one so that the world would know we're his disciples. So where are you obsessively particular and demanding? And how can we get back to being what Jesus would want us to be about so that we can be one as a church? Hello? Ooh. What's up, Revolution. That sucks. Do it again. What's up, Revolution? That's what I'm talking about. I think I got some booze, whatever we'll deal. Booze is in like B-O-O-S, not B-O-O-Z-E. That's for later. Um, No one thought that was funny, apparently. Um, All right, so uh, who saw the gold and white dress on the internet this weekend? Raise your hand if you think it was gold and white. Raise your hand if you think it was black and blue. Look, that is, what are you guys seeing here? I appreciate, do you see? This is fun. Like, argue amongst yourselves. Go for it, right? It's purple. Gosh. All right. Let's simmer. Let's simmer. Right? How insane was it to see how quickly people divided up and argued? One, on the internet, and especially right now, right? Like, I'm getting heckled from people in the crowd up here because I made a, I made a statement. Right? Actually, the, re- the oh, dude, I forgot I wanted these shown. These are awesome. Kick them more. <laughs> it's gold, and I don't care, right? Those are beautiful. I forgot that I wanted to put those up there. All right, but the Rev House, we were like splintered on this, right? Like Dustin comes charging up the stairs, kicks the like door to my room open. I'm in there studying for the sermon. Dave, have you been on the internet yet? And I was like, what has happened? Like, has, has there been a bombing? Right. <laughs> And, like, the Rev House was divided, right? Like, me and Cooley were on the same page. Rose was over there. She disagreed. I think Wallachek disagreed with me and Cooley as well. We ended up having a battle royale in the backyard, right? Of course, Wallachek won because he lifts weights, and he is swole to death, ladies and gentlemen, (laughs) right? And I lost because I was the most Christ-like, and I said, I'm not fighting with you guys. You know, turn the other cheek and do what you want to me, Um, (laughs) right? But seriously, like, let's think about it. Isn't it? Isn't it just like us as human beings uh, to want to join groups and split up into what I call tribes, 
right? Is that not like part of our nature? You don't believe me? Watch this. Best NFL team in the United States. Cleveland Browns, you're all wrong. That is, it's the Browns, right? Who's the best NBA team? Cavaliers. They don't win the most, but they're the best, right? College football team? Ladies and gentlemen, there is one college football team. That is the Ohio State University. Can I get an amen? I don't even care that much about football. It's just being from Ohio, like you have to say this stuff. Right, best music, we all know is heavy metal. Uh, best state is probably not Ohio, uh, if we're going to be honest. Right? City or country, where are you from? Which one's the best? I meant city or country is in like... <laughs> this is getting out of hand really quickly. All right, but I know how to shut you up. Democrat or Republican? Yeah, like one thing that I've noticed about people, whenever you ask them how they like to vote, like we will openly talk about like beating up politicians. We will openly talk about like people that we can't stand and everything else that we're for. You mentioned, hey, man, how did you vote on this issue? No one wants to talk in the United States, and that always makes me laugh. Uh, But apparently you guys didn't think that was as funny as I did. Um, (laughs) But you guys, I hope you guys can see what I'm getting at. We're willing to draw our lines and divide up and team up together. And because we're teaming up together, then that means we're teaming up against others, right? I would argue this. I think human beings don't really like to work together whenever something's going to take us outside of what we like or our comfort zones or like whenever the smallest disagreement arises. And again, don't believe me, look at Sayota County. There are like 10, me and Rick Clark were talking about this this week. There are like 10 brand new schools built in Sayota County in like the last 15 years. Most of these schools are less than 20 miles apart, Right? It doesn't seem to make sense, right? Shouldn't we have saved money and consolidated some of the school districts and just been, like, done a lot more or uh, united together under the same cause of educating students and, and done better and done more for the students? Um, but we didn't do that. And why? Because we can't imagine uh, the West Siders and the Portsmouth Trojans teaming up together to do anything. Right? We can't imagine Minford and Valley teaming up because there's a rivalry there. And no one wants to team up with Wheelersburg because they're a bunch of jerks and they win at everything. Um, I saw some Wheelersburg people in the back. I wanted to get you with that. Thank you. Thank you for beating us in football all the time. Um, right? But we like our – I'm from Minford for the record. Um, we lost a lot. But we like our divisions. Right? We have pride in whatever tribe that we come from, whether it's the region you're from, the state you're from, the kind of music you like. Whatever is your tribe, we take a lot of pride in it. Right? And whenever we look at it from like the school perspective, it seems pretty foolish that we would stay divided, right? Because all schools share the same common ground of educating children, right? And wanting to better the community, but mainly education, right? And not all schools educate the same. I'm from Minford, and I can't math uh, to save my life. And you heard me right. I can't math. Minford people can't do math. People from South Webster can't read. You take the good with the bad. Um, <laughs> but, but, if, but if we look at this internally, right? We've seen, it on the, we've seen it on the external with stuff like that, with schools and sports teams and all that that we like to divide. Let's look at this internally as Christians, right? Are we not guilty of the same thing, of doing exactly what the world around us does? I think that we're guilty of tribalism, right? This thing where believers divide, right, over petty things often, like Bible translation, like 1611 King James Version or the NIV, man, which one's it going to be? Because if you don't use the King James, you can't go here. That's not a true statement at all uh, here at Rev, but... You know, divide over things like that. Divide over, you know, baptism. Do we baptize children or do we baptize believers? How do we baptize them? Do we sprinkle them or do we half drown them? Like, what do we do? Um, You know, free will or predestination, right? Calvinism versus Arminianism. Put on your boxing gloves and let's get ready to throw down, ladies and gentlemen. Some of you don't think that's funny because you really don't like John Calvin. Um, But what happens? 
is we begin to start different churches or start different denominations or refuse to associate with the people that disagree, right? Uh, we get so into our own tribes, our own traditions, our own style, our, our way, our views, whatever it is, that we won't work together even when there's a need in, a, in the community to evangelize or to help people that are homeless or whatever, that we won't team up. You know, last week we talked about pride, all right, uh, that we need to humble ourselves and, and come to Christ like children, right, things like that. Um, and this week is just an offshoot of that same discussion, except this is the kind of pride that we have in our backgrounds or our traditions or uh, our spiritual pedigree, if you will, um, if you're into church history, all right? But I want you guys to know this. My goal this evening um, is not to teach you guys something brand new. I, I don't care about that. That's not what I want to do. Um, this might be brand, a brand new concept for some of you, um, I, I actually, I hope not. I hope that I'm not teaching anything that you've never heard before. But my goal this evening is to make us think. Um, to remind us of what truly matters as Christians. Uh, to help us get back to the core of the faith. That's what I want us to do. To remind us, um, to, to, make, to really just to make us check our hearts. Right? Whenever we have disagreements or if we have hard feelings towards uh, other churches around here. Um, or other believers that we have doctrinal disagreements with. That's what I want us to do is to check our hearts, right? And, and, and hopefully to remind us to get to be united together under the gospel, to be united together in Jesus, no matter what kind of disagreements may arise from church to church, right? And then the reason why I really wanted to go this route this evening is because there are a lot of people here at Revolution, um, especially if you call this place your home year-round, um, that we really need to pay attention to this. Um, division, right? Sometimes I wonder if our hard study of doctrine and of theology and of scripture might be the undoing of our love for our brothers and sisters in Jesus. I, I wonder that sometimes. I'm, I'm, I'm the chief of sinners whenever it comes to being arrogant and being uh, divisive, right? And not being the most loving. And sometimes I wonder if our hard study is our undoing and our love. All right, so we're going to be in Luke chapter 9, verses 49 and 50. Um, it's going to be up here on the projector behind me. It's super short. Also, there may be some Bibles. I don't know. Are we out of Bibles? I don't think there were any out. I think we have like six left. If you want a Bible, find me after the service. We'll get you one. It's free. Um, but we're going to check out in, in this passage and a few others and see what Jesus had to say about unity. So let's check out Luke chapter 9, verses 49 and 50. John said to Jesus, Master, we saw someone using your name to cast out demons, but we told him to stop because he isn't in our group. But Jesus said, don't stop him. Anyone who is not against you is for you. Pretty short, right? Pretty easy. Um, So we've been talking about pride, like I said last week. Um, Serving and loving others, right? Humbling ourselves, recognizing that we are sinners that suck and that there's not enough good that we can do to undo what we've done. So we come to Jesus like children, asking for him to take care of us and have mercy on us, that we're depending solely on the work of Jesus for our salvation and nothing else. And that as a result of that kind of humility, we are to welcome all and we are to be serving anyone, anyone and everyone indiscriminately. Right? And then John, ironically, because the disciples are usually a pretty good window into how we act because they're really dumb. Uh, you should read the Gospels if you don't believe me. Um, and he throws it out there that they had excluded somebody, right? Excluded someone from, from ministry. And this was a man, like, remember this is right after Jesus just says we need to you know, be humble. And they exclude somebody who is doing good works in the name of Jesus by faith. He was casting out demons in Jesus' name. Right? And why did they tell him to stop? Was there some huge heretical disagreement? 
right? Was this person denying the deity of Christ? Was this person uh, making the name of Christ, like dragging it through the mud? No. John tells on him. He says, he wasn't in our group. <laughs> it's, it's that easy. That's why that they told him to stop. Right? And what does Jesus reply with? He says, let the dude keep on with his ministry. He's an ally, not your enemy. He's for you, and whoever's not against you is for you. All right, so I think whenever I, whenever I read that text, I started asking myself the question, okay, well, Jesus can tell them you know, who their enemy is and who their friend is, but how am I supposed to know? How am I supposed to know who my enemy and who my ally is as a Christian? All right, so that's the first thing. I got, that's the big thing that we're going to try to answer this evening, right? And what I'm going to do is I'm going to break this down really, really, really simply, like super basic, right, and get to the heart of Christianity, right? Get to the heart of the most important thing, period. The thing that should unite all Christians, even whenever we can disagree on everything else, and that thing, the most important thing, is the gospel of Jesus Christ, period. There is nothing else. All right, so if we're going to do that, what is the gospel? That's the, I'd be the, I mean, I don't know about you guys, that'd be the question I'd be asking. Okay, so if this is what unites us, what is the gospel? All right, some of you might know this, but you need to pay attention. Anyway, um, the gospel literally means good news in Greek, right? I think the word's euangelion or something crazy like that. It's where we get the word evangelize, right? Literally means good news, and it's good news to us because we have just so much bad news coming. Like, it should break your heart. Um, and, and make you really not like yourself, how much bad news we've got coming at us. This is pretty much how it goes. Not pretty much. This is the gospel. All right, God creates mankind. Right? God creates everything. And what you need to know about God before you know anything else is God is holy. He is the embodiment of justice. He is the embodiment of love. He is all that is good. He only desires what is good for mankind. That's his thing, right? He's the embodiment of love. He is selfless. He is nothing but good. And then God gives commands, right? Adam and Eve, a lot of you guys have heard the story. Don't eat the fruit, right? Don't eat the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, right? And actually, whenever God gives commands, um, he actually deserves to have them obeyed. He doesn't give commands just to be arbitrary. He gives commands because they're for our benefit, because he will be glorified in us obeying these commands. Whenever God is glorified, we benefit because we were made to glorify God, right? So he actually deserves obedience. On top of that, there's nothing like him in all of creation. He can speak stars into existence. He can speak everything. He holds everything together by his will. There's nothing like him. He, people spend their entire lives trying to match what he does in the sky with paint, right? There's nothing like him. He's completely unique. He deserves our obedience. But what does mankind do? Adam and Eve rebel. Essentially, they give God the finger and they say, you told me not to do this, but I want to do this anyway, and I think I'm smarter than you, and I want to usurp your place as king, and I want to be king of my life. I want to do what I want to do. Who are you to tell me what to do? And we do the same thing on a daily basis. Every one of us, from the cradle until the grave, unless God does something and intervenes in us, this is all that we do day in and day out. Every breath we take is nothing but blasphemy against God because we do not love him, we do not seek to obey him at all. We're rebels. And here's the terrifying thing. Here's what makes this extra bad. God is good. In the words of Paul Washer, God is good, and that should scare us to death. Because if God is going to be good, he must be just. And if God is the embodiment of justice, then that means sin must be punished. It is treason against the king, and treason deserves the death penalty. But this is a spiritual kind of treason, so it deserves spiritual death, which is hell. An eternal separation from God in torture, and that's what we deserve. And brothers and sisters, we are dead to rights on this one. 
We're guilty. We've spent our lives in nothing but glad rebellion against the king, and we deserve it. We are sinners. There's the bad news. There's nothing you can do to undo this. This is your state apart from Jesus Christ. But, but here's the good news. God, in love, infinite love and infinite mercy that we can't fathom and grace upon grace upon grace, he sends Jesus Christ, the second member of the Trinity, God the Son, right, God in the flesh, to come to earth and take our punishment as a substitute for us. This is the beginning of the good news. And I'll tell you this too, side note, it's important, it's actually all important to recognize that Jesus is God. Right? Because no one else could be a sinless sacrifice for us. The Bible says that all men are sinful from the moment that they're born. Jesus has to be God, right? But he's 100% man because he's born of a woman. He had a flesh and blood body, right? But he's 100% God because he was placed in the womb by the Holy Spirit, right? So he's not born of, of two human beings, but he is born of a woman. So he is God. Only God can atone for sin because only God can be sinless. Men cannot. So we have to bear that in mind. Jesus must be God in order to actually atone for our sin. Right? And then Jesus goes to the cross after a sinless, perfect life. This is completely opposite from what we do. Right? We do nothing but rebel day in and day out against God. We do nothing but sin against him, blaspheme his name with our actions. And yet Jesus is perfectly obedient. He doesn't deserve to physically die, and he doesn't deserve to spiritually die or suffer any kind of wrath. But yet Jesus would go to the cross and suffer physical death that we deserve and suffer hell that we deserve, suffer the very wrath of God for sins that he did not commit, but that we did. And he did it in our place. And he did it to satisfy God's justice and show God's mercy and love to us. And then God raised Jesus from the dead three days later to show mercy to any and all who will believe that Jesus satisfied God's wrath fully for them in their place. Bottom line, we could not make up for our sin, but God could, and he did, and he did all this for us, and he did all this without our help, period. He did it because he wanted to, because he said that he would. And now he tells us by faith alone in Christ alone that we receive forgiveness, and we receive the gift of grace from him. That's the good news. That's the gospel. Listen, this is Christianity, that is what everything boils down to. That is the one part, like that, that message right there is what everything in Scripture points back to, period. Every major theme, uh, I would argue every major passage, everything points back to Christ on the cross in our place, that Jesus saves by faith in his death and resurrection. At the bare bones core, there is nothing else. This is our salvation. That message right there is our salvation, point blank, period. And like I said, I know I'm going really, really basic on this, right? The internet thing, I'm basic. I'm not going to finish that. Some of you know what I'm talking about. Maybe you don't. It's probably for the best, whatever. Yeah, some of you got it. Like, it took you a minute, whatever, Um, right? But you theology nerds might think that this is super basic and that you're past this. And I'm here to tell you, I don't care how good you are with theology. You might be smarter than me, and glory to God, I hope that you are. You're not past this. In the words of Tim Keller, the gospel is not the ABCs of Christianity. It is the A to Z of Christianity. Everything goes back to this one message, right? And those of us who study the most and think that we know the most really need to pay attention to that fact more than anyone. Right, so if that is the gospel, if that is the good news about Jesus, the bad news about us, and the good news about what he did, then who is a Christian? Who is a Christian? 
Romans 10, 9 through 13 says this. If you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God, and it is by openly declaring your faith that you are saved. As the scriptures tell us, anyone who trusts in him will never be disgraced. Jew and Gentile are the same in this respect. They have the same Lord who gives generously to all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So who is a Christian? Anyone who believes the gospel, anyone who has true faith that submits their entire lives to the truth of the gospel and the authority of Jesus Christ. I hope you caught that. Anyone. Anyone, period. Right? Now, I'm not naive. I know that there is tons of stuff that the Bible teaches, right? The Bible teaches, uh, you know, about baptism. It teaches about predestination. It teaches about communion, about sanctification, about Christ's return and the gifts of the Holy Spirit and a bunch of other isms and Asians. And I won't do that to you guys because I don't know what some of them mean if we're just going to be real for a couple of minutes, right? And I'm here to tell you that since basically the beginning of Christianity, um, there have been differing opinions on a lot of that stuff. There have been. If you go back and read a church history book, there have been disagreements on that kind of stuff ever since the beginning. And those things are called secondary issues. All right? That's what what we're going to call them this evening. Those are secondary issues. The gospel is the primary issue. That's the one thing that all Christians share in common, or, or true Christians share in common, is the gospel that I told you guys earlier. Right, and these secondary um, issues, these are where we get our different tribes, right? Our different denominations. And dude, we really get into our denominations, right? Like, take me for example. I'm a Protestant, which means that I strongly and firmly and will till I die disagree with like 90% of the theology of the Catholic Church, with the exception of the gospel, because we do share that in common, right? On top of being a Protestant, I'm a Calvinist. And for some of you, that is like a cuss word, right? Um, I'm an amillennial. Right? Which we won't get into that. Uh, believer's baptism, right? I think that we don't baptize children, that we should baptize people who have made a profession of faith in Jesus. I believe in symbolic communion. Whenever we look at the book of Revelation, I'm a partial preterist. Essentially, I'm a Reformed Baptist, is what you could call me. Right? That's why I said all that to say this. You should be too. <laughs> because I'm right. And if you disagree, come see me after the service. We'll pray together. You can repent. Jesus forgives. Um, Some of you probably think I'm actually that arrogant right now, and that's not true. Um, But it's good to know what we believe, right? Um, God has spoken. We should listen to every single thing that he has said. And I also think that we need to take a stand on everything that God has spoken to us about in Scripture, right? I'm, I'm not dogging that, right? You need to know what you believe, and you need to know why you believe it. You need to stand up for what you believe if it's found in Scripture, but I think that we need to take a graceful and a humble approach to this with these secondary issues, right? And uh, at Revolution, uh, at least I'm sure it's been said in other places, but this is where I first heard it whenever, uh, before I started preaching here. We, we take this approach to doctrine. We call it open-handed doctrine and closed-handed doctrine, all right? Anyone ever heard of this before? Three people. This is going to be really, really, really fun. All right. Um, this is where we divide our beliefs into gospel beliefs in your close handed, in your close hand handed. This is a handed. Um, in your close hand and everything else into your open hand. It is that simple, right? And the close hand is the gospel, right? The core doctrines that make up Christianity, the Trinity, the deity of Jesus Christ, his sinless life, his death on the cross, his resurrection, right? Him being 100% man and 100% God, all this stuff, this close handed stuff, right? Those kinds of doctrines. If you jack with these at all, you've started a new religion. 
That's that period you have. That's not Christianity anymore because you have altered the good news about Jesus, right? And we call them closed-handed because I will knock you out, <laughs> right? They make a fist, right? We'll fight over these things, right? We're willing to divide over these things. Like if, if someone, like if I started teaching like a bunch of crap that like went against that closed-handed stuff, I'd be out of here. Like our elders here would not tolerate that for two seconds. We divide over these kinds of issues, right? Um, and if you'll notice something about the closed hand is that all of these things, all of these doctrines that we believe in the closed hand have everything to do with who Jesus is and him accomplishing our salvation on the cross with his death and resurrection. Everything to do with these. And simply put, everything else is open-handed. A lot of people don't like that. And Ryan makes fun of me a lot. He's not here this evening, or he'd amen me from the back. I want to put other things into that closed hand, like, all the time. Because, like, I'm, I, I struggle with this. I've been beat up all week over this message. All right? But like I said, everything else is open-handed. Things go in and out of an open hand. You might change your mind on them, right? For those of you who know me, I used to be, like, a hardcore Arminian, like, freewiller. And I've changed my mind on that stuff, right? It's went out of this open hand, and something else has taken its place. Right? You're going to change your mind. You're going to grow. You're going to study scripture more. You're going to say, man, I was wrong five years ago on this, and thank God it's in the open hand. All right? And you, know, you can't fight with open hands right? unless you're going to like cat fight or if you're like a ninja. Right? <laughs> I'm stupid. Like I, say, like I don't know why I say stuff like that. <laughs> amen. I got an amen from Kelly. Right? This open hand, closed handed thing, this is essentially, this is where we take a stand for what we believe scripture teaches, but we're gracious and humble enough to say this. I could be wrong. I could be wrong on this open handed stuff, but we share the gospel in common. Right? That's how we approach this. That's why it's gracious. Right? And I think that we should take this approach because what makes us Christians, right? What saves us is the gospel. No other beliefs are going to save you or damn you, period. It is faith in the gospel that you're saved by, right? So we should stand united in the good news about Jesus. That's what this passage is. This is the big point of the message this evening. Jesus is calling his followers to unity. Let's be real for a second. How well have we done with that? How well have you done as an individual on that? How well has revolution done as a church? How has the big C worldwide church done with that? Like the dude said in the video, and I've read in other places, there are over 40,000 denominations of Christianity worldwide. In the United States alone, there are over 200 major ones. Think about that for a minute. And then consider this. And I've experienced this. I, I've been on both ends of wanting to work with someone and someone uh, not wanting to work with me, right? And then being the person who doesn't want to work with them. Um, most denominations and most churches don't want to work together most of the time. Period. Think about that. 40,000 denominations, no one wants to work with anyone most of the time. And why? Why is it? Why is it that way? Why is it like this? Pride. Period. It's pride. And I'm guilty of this, and I know that a lot of people in this room are guilty of it too, right? It's a lack of humility. It's, it's this arrogance to think that we are the ones who have everything right, and if you disagree with me, I don't even think you're a Christian anymore, because how could you be reading the same Bible that I am? You know, you must not have the Holy Spirit in you to illuminate these scriptures to you the way that the Holy Spirit's illuminated me. It's that kind of an arrogance. It's that kind of an arrogance. 
We want to take pride in the tribe that we come from. And like I said, I'll say this a million times, I am chief of sinners on this. We want to take pride in our theological tribe. And I'll tell you this too, whenever we want to divide or we want to become divisive or we want to do that kind of stuff and get this ball of arrogance, it's, it's usually not uh, wanting to divide or wanting to debate because we want others to believe the truth. That's usually not the case. It's usually a matter of wanting other people to see us as right. That's why we tend to fight with people. We want them to think that we're smart. We want them to say, man, I don't, I don't want to argue with that guy. He really knows what's up. You know, and just me personally, uh, this is something I live by. I think it's good to realize that you're wrong on 20% of your doctrine. Uh, I just don't know what 20% that I'm wrong on. And, you know, by the grace of God, I'll figure that out. That kind of a mentality is going to keep you humble for your entire life as a Christian. All right, but I think that this, this instance of pride, this problem of pride we have, goes back to last week with the question the disciples asked, who is the greatest? We want to be great. We want our name to be great rather than the name of Christ being great. We want people to think that we're smart, that our tribe has the best theology, that our theologians are the greatest. And I'll tell you this, and this is just throwing this out there, I worry that we study doctrine and we study theology and we study church history and we study scripture for our own glory and recognition. I worry that we do that because I know I've fallen into this pit many times, right? And what is it? We want people to think that we're smart and they don't want to argue with us. So instead of studying so we can understand the heart of God better and actually apply it to our lives, we study for the wrong reasons. And I'm here to tell you, if you do that, if you're not studying these things because you want to know God better and apply them to your lives more, that is nothing more than self-glorification and idol worship of self. That is all that that is. We don't want to work with other churches. We don't want to work with other believers that we disagree with because we want our church, our views, our leaders, our theologians, ourselves, our pastors to be viewed as great. That does nothing but spark division within the body of Christ. It gives birth to this mentality that says, I won't work with them. They don't believe everything that I do. They've got a different style than me. You know, like God forbid that we would humble ourselves to let others see the spirit work in other people that we disagree with. How stupid is that? You know, this kind of non-gospel-centered division is nothing but sin. The Apostle Paul calls it worldly. We're going to check this out. The Corinthians had this exact same problem. Some were saying, I follow Apollos, and I follow Paul, and I follow Cephas, and others would say, I follow Christ. And those were the dudes who actually had it right. Um, But there's this this division going on within the church of Corinth. So we read this in chapter 3. Dear brothers and sisters, when I was with you, I couldn't talk to you as I would to spiritual people. I had to talk as though you belonged to this world or as though you were infants in Christ. I had to feed you with milk, not with solid food, because you weren't ready for anything stronger, and you still aren't ready, for you are still controlled by your sinful nature. You are jealous of one another and quarrel with each other. Doesn't that prove you are controlled by your sinful nature? Aren't you living like people of the world? When one of you says, I am a follower of Paul, and another says, I follow Apollos, aren't you acting just like people of the world? Now, I don't know about you guys, That beat me to death almost this week. That destroyed me. I I, I had to process all this over the last week so that I could say this with any kind of conviction to you guys. But let's consider the world. The world splits over everything, right? Sports, states, nations, politics, philosophy, whatever. I have seen people get into like almost fistfights over how to set the toilet paper in the bathroom. You know what I'm talking about? Like over 
or like under, and the answer is over every time. Like I'm, thank you, I got, I got one, right? Unless you have cats, and then putting it under is like okay because they'll like do this and get it all on the floor. I digress. Um, <laughs> I love cats, um, but we find differences, right? The world wants to divide over everything, and as Christians, we find differences from church to church in style or in dress or in music or secondary doctrine, and we want to draw the dividing lines and say, well, can't fellowship with them anymore. Right, And I'm here to tell you, that was literally never what Jesus Christ had in mind for his people. Ever. Actually, we're going to look at one of Jesus' prayers. Uh, John chapter 17, verses 13 through 21. Jesus is praying for us. He says, now I am coming to you. He's praying to God the Father. I told them many things while I was with them in this world so they would be filled with my joy. I have given them your word, and the world hates them because they do not belong to the world, just as I do not belong to the world. I'm not asking you to take them out of the world, but to keep them safe from the evil one. They do not belong to this world any more than I do. Make them holy by your truth and teach them your word, which is truth. Just as you sent me into the world, I am sending them into the world, and I give myself as a holy sacrifice for them so they can be made holy by your truth. I am praying not only for these disciples, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. I pray that they will all be one, just as you and I are one, as you are in me, Father, and I am in you. And may they be in us so that the world will believe you sent me. Think about that. That's Jesus' prayer for us. So recap, what does he say? He says multiple times in just a few verses, we do not belong to the world. Right, that we are to reject the world's systems, that we have had our thinking and minds and hearts renewed by the gospel of Jesus and the Holy Spirit living in us so that we would embrace the truth of the gospel and throw away wanting to divide and throwing away wanting to be like the world and willing to separate and draw the dividing lines so quickly that we are all service-minded and have the mentality and the desire to bring the gospel to people. That that's our goal. And what else does he pray? He prays that the Father would protect us from Satan. Right? The author of pride, because all sin is rooted in pride. Um, you know, I, I would argue that Jesus is praying uh, in light of the passage we're looking at in Luke. I would say that Jesus is praying, among other things, for us not to succumb to the divisive spirit that Satan will try to plant inside the church and, and cause like interchurch disunity. And then what does Jesus say? He prays for all who would believe the gospel. He prays that we would all be united in the message about Jesus. And why? So that the world would believe that Jesus was sent from God. This is why he wants us to be united, so that we can reach people and that they would believe. That's the goal of the church. This is what every church has in common that actually believes the gospel. To bring as many people to faith in Jesus Christ as possible to bring the good news about Jesus to as many people as possible and let the Holy Spirit work in them and bring them to repentance, right? And as long as we are all in together on the core doctrine of the gospel and who Jesus is, then we all have the same goal. We all labor for the same king. You know, there may be disagreements among us, but but here's the real question. How can rivalry exist and, and disdain exist and quarreling and strife exist and us still be consistent with Scripture, which is usually why we say we want to divide because we don't agree with doctrine. And yet Jesus says, your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. How consistent with Scripture are we staying on that? Do we love the people we disagree with? 
I, I think one of the biggest problems that we have is that we have lost sight completely of who our enemies are and who our allies are. And I, I, I literally think it's this simple. It's a very, very small list. I think that Satan is our enemy. He desires our division. He hates God's people. He hates Jesus. He stands opposed to the gospel. So what does he want to do? He wants to create division, and he wants to make us hate other people who are for the gospel because he hates Jesus, and he hates the good news about Jesus. So Satan is our enemy because he opposes the good news. Who else is our enemy? Those who oppose the message of Christ crucified and raised for the forgiveness of sins as the only way to salvation. Those people are our enemies because they undermine the sacrifice of Jesus. They look for another way and they say, you can't be right. There has to be something else. And they undermine the cross of Christ. Who else are our enemies? Uh, Those who oppose Jesus as God are our enemies. This is why we reject Mormonism when we reject Jehovah's Witnesses, or not the people, but the beliefs, right? Because they ignore Jesus' own teachings about himself and God's testimony about the Son. And a man can't take away the sin of anyone. It's a false Christ. Who else is our enemy? Those who oppose salvation by faith are our enemies. They want to nullify the cross of Christ by adding to Jesus' finished work, saying it's faith plus baptism or faith plus good works or faith plus all these uh, penance things. Like It's Jesus plus, and they seek to nullify the cross by adding to his work. And Jesus said it was finished in a minute. Those are our enemies. And we're not to hate our enemies. We're to love our enemies. But know this, that's a false gospel. That's a false Christ, all those people. And we're to recognize it and not have fellowship with them as Christians because they are not Christians. But here's the thing. Everyone else is on our team. It's, it's that simple. Everyone else is on our team. Just like Jesus said, anyone who is not against you, anyone who is not against the message of Christ, anyone who is not anti-Christ but is pro-Christ is for you because that's what we are for. So consider this. The Methodist, right? The Presbyterian, the Baptist, the Pentecostal, the free willer, whatever, down the street is not my enemy. He believes the gospel. He's wrong on a lot of other stuff, but he's not against the cause of Jesus. He wants to see people converted. He wants to make disciples. You know, We might disagree on what that looks like, but he is not my enemy. He's my brother. We're all family in this together, and family sticks together. Right? And I had recently, literally Friday, this truth hit me in the face so hard, and I just eat a lot of my pride. Uh, my mom had surgery on Friday. And while we were there, um, we, she, she's at home right now. She's still recovering. She's doing, she's doing all right. We need your prayer, though, if you could pray for her. Um, we were at the hospital, right? And my mom's former pastor shows up, a man who, like, I can't tell you how much I openly disagree, him with, disagree with him on everything but the gospel. Like, that's, like, no joke. And I'm pretty vocal about it most of the time whenever I hear something that's been taught, right? Um, he shows up. Right? And he shows up, and what happens? Um, I got a little bit tense, a little bit nervous, just to be honest. I didn't know what I was going to say or what he might say. But here's what he did. He prayed with us. I was shocked. Um, because I'm a jerk, not because he's a jerk. He hugged us. He hugged me. Shook my hand, told me he loved me. Told me he was praying for my mother. Told me he was praying for me. Right? He did that, and it hit me in an instant uh, that whenever the chips are down and whenever it comes down to loving people in the body of Christ or promoting the gospel or whatever, that our secondary small doctrinal differences don't matter because we love each other because we are united in Christ. It hit me like a ton of bricks. 
You know, and consider this, in a world that opposes our God and King Jesus, we can use all the family we can get, can we not? This world looks down on anyone who claims Christ as king as a fool. All right, it's hard enough to live this life. The world thinks that we're bigots. The world thinks that we're crazy. The world thinks that we're closed-minded, that we're hateful, right? And do we really need more enemies in light of that? Do we really need more strife? Do we really need to add a couple more wars to be involved with in our personal lives? It's lonely enough. What we need is family. We're just going to be honest with ourselves for a minute. You know, and I argue this too. I think that we divide whenever we forget a core part of the gospel of Jesus. I'm going to read two things that the Apostle John wrote. My dear children, I am writing this to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate who pleads our case before the Father. He is Jesus Christ, the one who is truly righteous. He himself is the sacrifice that atones for our sins. And not only our sins, but the sins of all the world. John 3.16, for this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. How do we forget that? Like, literally, we tend to forget the most popular verse in the entire Bible. Jesus didn't just die for us. He didn't just die for revolution. He didn't just die for the Methodist church. He didn't just die for the Reformed tradition or for the Calvinists or for the Wesleyans, right? He died for all who would believe. He's not just the propitiation for our sin, but he's the propitiation for the world. How do we lose that? How do we forget that when it's staring us down in the, like right in our face? How do we gloss over facts like that on our hunt for good doctrine? How do we glaze over that? And, and, and at the same time, how unifying and awesome is that thought? That the same Christ who died for all these people who disagree, he died for all of them. That should be uniting, right? So here's what I want you guys to remember. I need you to pay attention. Our good doctrine, and I think that we have some really good, solid doctrine here at Revolution. It will not save us. Our theology, our knowledge, our history, our spiritual pedigree, our reformed tradition, or whatever tradition that you're from, will not save you. You can go to hell believing some really solid biblical things. Satan has better theology than I do, I'll tell you that right now. I guarantee you he's read the Bible more than me. I guarantee you he hung out with some better theologians than I've hung out with. I've hung out with some pretty good ones. But Satan has better theology than me. But what saves Only Jesus saves. It's only by him that we get forgiveness, not by our knowledge or our rightness. And we need to remember that. And we need to remember that Jesus died to save all people from all tribes, all who would believe. This is what we unite under. This is literally all that truly matters. So I want to take a second and say this. Do you believe? Do you believe the gospel of Jesus? If you don't, um, I I wish that you would. Uh, There's no prayer that I can tell anyone in here. If you're not a Christian, I'm talking to you. Believe the good news about Jesus, that he died in your place for your sin, and join this family with us. Join this, uh, what should be united. And we are broken individuals, and we're a bunch of sinners, but you're no better. All right, come join us and unite under the gospel with us and receive forgiveness by faith. Right? And if you want to know more about, you know, okay, what is, what is the gospel? I need to explain more. Uh, I don't even know if I believe God exists. Uh, you know, whatever your problem is, if you want someone to pray with you or talk with you more, come find me after the service. Um, or while we're playing music, there'll be a couple of people over here by the couches. We want to pray with you. We want you to join this family with us and unite under the gospel with us and love Jesus with us. All right, but Christians, right, those of us who already pledge allegiance to Jesus, 
What are we going to do with this information? Because, I mean, God knows we have enough good information, right? We have enough, like, doctrine, right? We live in the information age. I know a lot of people have pretty solid libraries at home around here. Um, you know, what are we going to do with this info? Is this just going to be another thing that we chalk up? Yep, we should be, un- like, we should be united. <laughs> like, just another thing that we keep in our mind. Um, what are we going to do with this command to recognize our allies? I, I got a couple ideas. I think that we need to check ourselves. Right? How is your heart towards other believers that you disagree with? You know, are you hostile? Are you prideful? Are you arrogant? Are you standoffish whenever you get around people that you tend to disagree with? You know, and maybe you're not a loudmouth like me. Right? Maybe it doesn't manifest itself outwardly where you actually run your mouth about someone behind their back or even to their face. But how's your heart? How's your heart towards these people? You know, do you study and read because you want to know God fully or because you want to be viewed as smart and right? Check yourself. Why do you do what you do? Why do you disagree? How do you treat people that you tend to disagree with or whole denominations that you disagree with? Right? I think, I think what we need to do as a body, as individuals, is we need to start rejoicing and encouraging all attempts from believers to advance the gospel of Jesus, right? So in order to do that, we've got to push aside our differences on smaller things and push toward the goal together. All right, so this is what I beg you to do, and I, I'm, I'm working on it too. I'm right there with you. I'm a sinner just as much, probably worse than most of you guys here, right? Let's kill the spirit of division that some of us have. Let that be one of our goals. Stop picking other churches apart, right? Stop being doctrinal fault finders every chance that you can get. Stop seeking arguments with believers. Stop being mean-spirited and backbiting towards people. Instead of that, let's work together. You know, whether it's as a whole church, which falls on the leadership here at Rev, and that's something that's one of our big goals this year, is to try to, you know, unite with a couple of churches around here. Um, But individually, Right? Let's unite with other believers in the workplace that we see that we might not agree on everything with. People in, uh, on campus, wherever you're at. Right? Let's unite together. Let's pray for other churches and other individuals that they would be successful in their goal of telling people the good news and making disciples. Right? And I'll tell you this too, and if there's a big enough deal that you feel like someone's wrong on doctrinally or whatever, address it. Don't just run your mouth behind their back. Be a man enough or be woman enough to actually go to them and say, you know, brother, sister, I think that this is a problem. We need to address this because I don't think you're living in step with the Bible and your beliefs. All right, let's be honest for a second. Let's, let's be able to do that. A lot of times we aren't man or woman enough to do that, but let's go and seek actual conversation with them and be gracious about it. You know, praying with the mentality, um, with the heart that God would have them repent and believe what is right and true and God-honoring, not that we would just be viewed as right. You know, but let's do all of this with a focus on what we have in common rather than what we don't have in common. And that's faith in Jesus. That is all that truly matters. Nothing but Christ alone will save us. And he will save us because of our faith in what he has done. And I'm convinced, and this might sound funny, Jesus is going to save a lot of us in spite of our bad doctrine. I, I seriously believe that. Like, I don't believe, I, don't, I think that Martin Luther, the great reformer, right, my homeboy, I cannot wait to see that man in heaven. I think that Martin Luther was a Christian before he discovered the doctrine of justification by faith. I think it freed him, though. But I think he was a Christian before he came to that realization. Um, Thomas Aquinas, uh, Anselm, uh, St. Augustine, all these dudes who I disagree with on so much stuff because they were Roman Catholic. I believe that they're in heaven. They had some stuff wrong, but they had faith in Jesus. That's all that matters. That will cover all of your sin, all of your bad doctrine, period. That is the grace that God gives us because the Lord knows we're wrong on some stuff, I'm sure. 
That's the kind of grace that he showed us, so we should have the same kind of grace to other people and recognize that and humble ourselves. I'll leave you guys with this. We have to unite. There is more than a theological debate at stake. People are going to hell around us on a daily basis, and we would rather sit and bicker about Calvinism and sit and bicker about infant baptism and all kinds of other secondary stupid things in the grand scheme of the gospel. And there are people dying and going to hell the whole time. Don't waste energy fighting and picking on things that will not save people. Remember the big picture in everything, that the gospel is all that matters, and that the gospel is all that will save. And let's all do our best to unite on the gospel of Jesus with other believers. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for being more merciful and gracious to us than we deserve. We deserve hell, and yet you give us the gospel. We bicker and and become divisive, and yet you still show us grace, and and you've covered that sin by Jesus' death and resurrection as well. Um, Father, I pray that we would heed the words of Jesus in his prayer and in his rebuke of the disciples and in Paul's rebukes and all these different places in Scripture that you tell us to be united. I pray that we would take those and, and, and live by them. I'm seeking to be truly united under the gospel. Help us to kill our arrogance and kill our pride and begin to study for the right reasons. But Father, above all things, I thank you for the cross of Christ um, that, that covers all of my bad doctrine, that covers all of my daily sin. I thank you for that. And it's because of that, Father, we worship you and we thank you for everything that you've done for us. In Jesus' name, amen.